0: Today's reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses from 32 through chapter 12, verse 2. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, beginning at the 32nd verse. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weaknesses, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great, of, great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Pastor Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to have uh, you all here this morning. As we get into our sermon, I want to just say uh, three quick preliminary matters. First, I want to thank Pastor John for preaching last week. COVID struck the Tan home kind of midweek, and I didn't—I didn't end up getting it, but I thought I was going to get it. And then I thought it's going to be terrible to call someone on Saturday night and say, "Hey, I can't preach. You know, can you preach tomorrow?" So I gave John plenty of notice, and he. Uh, he preached and I was really grateful for that. I thought he did a, a fantastic job. It's very encouraging to me, um, uh, drawing out the things he did from the, the book of Ezekiel. So thank you to Pastor John for preaching last week. We have uh, sufficiently recovered as a family and uh, we're back to health again. Second, I want to—I think it merits uh, taking just a moment to celebrate uh, our end of year giving for 2021. I don't know if you looked in the bulletin there, but we came in uh, with giving at 21,000 over the budget which was just fantastic so yeah give our give ourselves a round of applause there i want to say thank you but it's not thanking you from me as though you gave the money uh, to me but on behalf of the lord uh thank you to all of those who gave so generously and uh really that is an encouragement to me so thank you for that and then third i mentioned a few weeks ago that we're going to be starting a new sermon series uh, called essential church about uh, the importance and necessity of church for our spiritual survival and i was intending to start that sermon series today this morning but one of the main punchlines from the uh, sermon series is going to be stop camping out on online and come to church in person but in the middle of a COVID surge it seemed like that wasn't the best time Uh, to be doing that. So I'm going to push that back uh, a month, and we're going to hope for better things at the end of the COVID surge. So all of you in your pajamas and your cup of coffee on your couch, you get one more month, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it in a month. So in any case, uh, we're starting a different sermon series, a four-week sermon series today. I was actually prepared to preach last Sunday when I asked John to preach, Um, And I had finished my sermon, and then I didn't preach, but I decided it was too good of a sermon to waste, so I didn't want to waste it. And then I decided we're going to build a whole sermon series out of it. So I have a sermon series for us called The Joy Set Before Us, and it's going to be on the theme of joy. So we're going to spend today and the remainder of January looking at uh, this idea of joy and the joy of the Lord that he promises us in Christ. So that's what we're going to be focusing on Uh, the next number of weeks. All wishes to say that today's sermon was last week's sermon and is the first sermon of a new sermon series. So if you can follow all that, that's where we are this morning. All right, so on to our sermon series and the theme of joy. As you may have caught on uh, the last number of months, I've been thinking and talking a bit about the theme of joy. And I'm not always able to hang on to the substance of joy in every instance, but I have been thinking about it a lot the past six months. And if you've ever tried to live consistently with joy, you know how difficult uh, that can be. It's not always easy. Some of you are very good at it, and I have a few people in mind that I know who are very good at it. Uh, but for most of us, it's it can be hard to come by. Come by joy is hard to come by. Marriage challenges, parenting challenges, work challenges, friend challenges, sin challenges, 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 challenges. Seems like life is just filled with all sorts of challenges, and with those challenges, inevitably, be, inevitably comes suffering. And pain. I think that many of us don't have a category for how joy and pain or joy and suffering can exist side by side simultaneously. Maybe we have a category for peace and suffering or faithfulness and suffering or courage in suffering, or obedience in suffering. But joy and suffering, that's harder to make sense of. And I think we tend to wait for pain and suffering to end so that we can get to the joy on the other side of the trial. I think that's how we mostly operate in life with our trials and our sufferings and our pains. Running along fine, we hit some place of suffering and pain, the joy goes away, we know that the suffering is going to end at some point, and then we'll get back to joy. But our joy doesn't run through the suffering and pain. I'll be joyful when my marriage is not so painful. I'll be joyful when my boss is giving me the credit that I deserve. I'll be joyful when I finally find a spouse. I'll be joyful when my parents let me get an iPhone. Kids, I get it. Hashtag, the struggle is real. I know, it's out there. It's hard. It's hard. And we push our hope and our joy out into the future, on the other side of the pain and the suffering. But joy and suffering, joy and pain, can and do actually coexist together. And that's the point of today's passage. It's the point of today's sermon. It's really the point of our next four weeks together through January. So let's dig into our text this morning and see if we can't find a bit of this joy that God has promised his people. If you have your Bible still open to Hebrews 11 verse 32, that's where we're going to be starting. And let me just give a, we're dropping into the middle of a chapter here. So let me just give a few words to kind of get us running. Uh, and hit the ground running here in verse 32. But in Hebrews 11, uh, the author of Hebrews is talking about the importance of faith. And in the whole book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, if you remember when, uh, if you were here a couple years back when we went through the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is talking about how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament, scriptures, the law, the priesthood, all of the things in the Old Testament pointed to the coming of Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And so the Old Testament saints lived in faith in anticipation of the coming of Jesus. And so the author is commending this life of faith that was led as an example in the Old Testament to be emulated here in the New Testament. And so in the first part of the chapter, the author talks about Abraham, the beginnings of the Jewish people, and then Moses, the giver of the law, as exemplars of faith. And then in verse 32, which is where we're picking up our passage here this morning, the author begins to rapidly highlight the various people of faith in the Old Testament. So he mentions Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and if you're familiar with your Old Testament Stories, if you grew up in church or did Sunday school as a kid, or if you've read through the Old, through the Old Testament, you might recognize some of these names. But the author just goes through mentioning some of the, these moments of faith, these people of faith. And then look what they accomplished in verse 33. He starts talking about the things that the Old Testament saints accomplished by faith. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made mighty in battle, and raised people from the dead. So all good and triumphant things, and praise God that he gives us the victory through faith. But then right in the middle of verse 35, the author takes this unexpected left turn. And I don't know if you caught that while Proswell was reading the text for us, but there's this unexpected left turn That takes place because what follows in the middle of verse 35 through the end of the chapter are not the triumphs of faith, but the defeats of faith. In faith, the Old Testament saints were tortured, mocked, flogged, thrown in prison, stoned, sawn in two, and killed with the sword. In faith, they went about in sheepskin, were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, and hid out in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves. Maybe you're thinking, I'd rather live in the first half of chapter 11 than the second half of chapter 11. It's probably true for a lot of us. The defeats of faith are themselves marks of faith, not because of the defeats, but rather because of the capacity to persevere in obedience in the midst of the defeats, in the midst of the sufferings and the hardship. And that's the true mark of faith, because persevering in obedience in the midst of trials is just as much a mark of faith as overcoming the trial in faith. In both instances, in victory and in defeat, the person of faith is showing that the power for Christian living comes from beyond us, that it comes from God. And that's what faith is. It's faith in God. It's not faith in faith or faith in the Christmas spirit or faith in the human spirit, but faith in the power and necessity of God to empower us to live lives as human beings were truly meant to live. And then in verse 39, the author tells us that both kinds of faith, the faith for victory and the faith for persevering in defeat, are both commended by God because both kinds of faith look forward to the thing hoped for, the fulfillment of God's promise. Look at verse 39 there. And all these, though commended, through their faith, who are all of these? Well, it's all the Old Testament saints, all those who came before. All of them have been commended through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, us New Testament saints on this side of Christ's coming, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Because Christ is the object of the faith that the Old Testament saints were looking towards. And we have possessed Christ. And so the Old Testament saints weren't made perfect in their faith. They didn't receive the thing promised until Christ came. Together with us now we are all made perfect in Jesus. Because he is the fulfillment of God's promise. Alright. That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews really that Jesus is the fulfillment of every attitude of faith. And then in chapter 12, 1 and 2, the author speaks of the ultimate exemplar of living by faith, the ultimate example of what it means to live by faith, and it's Jesus himself. Just as the Old Testament saints kept their eyes ...on the promise of God, so too we should keep our eyes fixed on Jesus... ...who is both the ultimate example and the object of our faith. And that brings us then to our theme of joy. In 12.2, the author tells us that Jesus was enabled to run his course... ...to run his race through joy. Look in verse 2 there. For the joy set before him, the author writes... Jesus endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now let me pause here and tell you what I've always thought verse two meant. And I I pause here to tell this to you because I I suspect that some of you, at least some of you, also think that this is what verse two meant. Maybe your, your line of reasoning has been similar to my own. I always thought that verse two meant that Jesus endured the pain of the cross by keeping his eyes fixed on the joy that waited for him at the end of the road, the joy that was waiting out ahead of him on the far side of his obedience. Ergo, just as Jesus labored faithfully and persevered in hope of possessing the joy waiting for him on the far side of his obedience, you and I are to labor faithfully and persevere in hope of possessing the joy waiting for us at the end of our road. So in that reading, joy is the prize that waits for us at the end of our road. It's the carrot that entices us forward that keeps us running in the hard places of obedience. It's a sort of keep your eye on the prize approach to trials and endurance. And I'm pretty sure when I preached this passage back in our Hebrew sermon series, that's the point that I made. Now, the main problem with thinking about joy in that way is it's wrong, <laughs> or at least it's incomplete. So that's one problem. The second problem, related to the first, is that it's not actually what the text is saying here. So let's see if we can figure out what the text is actually saying. And I think the key to understanding this text is to look more carefully at this expression, set before. The expression comes from the Greek term prokamenes. And prokamenes is used twice in this passage. Set before, it's translated as. It's used once in verse 1 of chapter 12. To speak of our race. So do you see that? That our race is prokamenes. It's set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Prokamenes. And then it's used in verse 2 to speak of Jesus' joy. Jesus' joy is prokamenes. It is set before him. And here's the key. The word prokamenes is not a term of chronology, but it's a term of geography. It doesn't speak of setting something before someone in their future. It speaks of setting something before someone in their presence. So it could just as well be translated set in front of or set in the presence of. It's the same word that's used elsewhere in the Bible to speak of setting a meal in the presence of someone. So if I had you over for dinner at my house and you're my guest and I set a meal before you, that doesn't mean that I've set it before you and we're going to eat at like 10 o'clock, right? It means I've set it before you right now. It's now accessed right in front of you. The guest gains possession of the meal that is set before them as soon as it is set before them. So when the author says that our race is prokamenes. Set before us. He doesn't mean that our race is waiting for us out there in the future. It means the race is the race that we are running right now. And in the same way, when the author says that Jesus' joy was prokamenes, set before him, he doesn't mean that Jesus' joy is waiting for him on the other side of the cross. Rather, his joy is given to him right now, it is set before him in that moment. Jesus didn't endure the cross in hopes of obtaining joy. He endured the cross because he already had the joy, the joy that had been set right in front of him. He was feasting on the joy that the Father had given to him. And that's how joy works for you and I. We don't have to wait until the hard race of obedience has been run in order to obtain the joy that God has promised to us. Joy is set down right in front of us. It is set before us as a gift, ready to be consumed. Joy is the strength. It is the food that gives us the capacity to endure the crosses of our lives. Just like it was the strength that gave Jesus was just like it was the strength that gave Jesus the strength to endure his cross. Which means that joy can be fully present with us. That God intends joy to be fully present with us. Even in the midst of our sufferings. So do you believe that? I mean, think about that place of suffering and pain in your life. The disappointment, the heartache. Heartache, the pain. Do you believe it's possible without that going away to be filled with joy? Are you just sort of waiting for that to resolve itself so then you can get to joy? But God sets his joy down right in front of us to be accessed in the midst of our trials. To give us the strength that is needed, just like Christ endured the cross and scorned the shame because of the joy that had been set right in front of him, the joy that he was feasting on as he endured his trials. Was Jesus able to do that? Yes, he was. Even as he wept in Gethsemane, even as he was betrayed into the hands of sinners, even as he was hung on the cross. The author of Hebrews is telling us that that's how Jesus endured all that trial, through the joy that was set before him. Because joy is not the prize at the end that is merely the reward of our own obedience. It's the power and grace of God that is given to us to get us to the end. Now, I should say here that joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is to joy... What joy, or sorry, happiness is to joy, what like is to love. So happiness is to joy, what like is to love. So let's, let's see if I can unpack this a bit. Like is surfacy, right? And it can be brushed away in a moment when circumstances change. But love, it's deep and it's subterranean, And it can't be brushed away by circumstances. So we we may not always like our kids. Sorry, kids. It's true. We may not always like our kids, but we always love our kids. Deep in our bones, we love our kids. And love, when it takes root deep enough, it bubbles back up to the surface and allows us to like people that we otherwise wouldn't like if we didn't love them. So there's a kind of liking that happens on the other side of joy that doesn't get run around by the circumstances. Then there's a kind of a human liking that's dependent on circumstances and it can get slapped around and brushed around by the circumstances. But true love is deep down and it's anchored in who God is and it comes up and it can even bubble forth as liking. Not just loving, but liking. And happiness and joy work the same way. Happiness, human happiness, it's surfacy. And it's based on our circumstances. And anyone can be happy just as long as they have happy circumstances. It doesn't take take Christ to be happy with happy circumstances. But joy runs deeper. And it settles down deep into the bones. And it can't be dislodged by circumstances. And in the miracle of grace, when true joy takes root deep down inside of you, it can even bubble up as happiness in the midst of painful circumstances and trials. And I'm not talking about like some Pollyanna sort of like pretend the trial isn't there and I'm just going to be all smiles kind of happiness. I'm talking about the kind of happiness that has run down through into the middle of suffering and trial, tapped into the joy of the Lord, and has come back up the other side through that trial in the expressions of happiness and smiles. It's possible to have happiness in the midst of difficulties and trials. I was talking with a dear lady here this past week who's recently had some... uh, some difficult health news and it's not at all clear that the outcome was necessarily going to be good. So there sitting, waiting for the news uh, of the, the prognosis to come back, life hanging in the balance. And we spoke on the phone and there was a lot of physical pain that she was experiencing. But when I spoke to her, she was just full, not just of like deep joy, but of like happiness, How do you get happiness in the midst of difficulty and trial unless it's coming down from something deep inside of you, something that doesn't depend upon the circumstances and the trial? So there's a kind of joy that is the deep Christ kind of joy that even can bubble up in expressions of happiness. Maybe you're in a hard place this morning. Life isn't working out the way that you had hoped. Marriage perhaps is not what you thought it was going to be. Health, unexpectedly, taking a turn for the worse. Your job, your career, parenting isn't working out with all the ease and joy and comfort you thought. Your friends, whatever it is, you know your pains better than I. Perhaps it's never fully occurred to you, like you've heard about it, but it's never fully occurred to you that joy and that place of pain can go together. Joy and suffering, joy and disappointment can go together. That you can right in the middle of a health crisis, or a marriage crisis, or a parenting crisis, a friend crisis, or even, and we're going to get into this in the coming weeks, even a sin crisis of your own making, that you can experience joy in the midst of that. Even the happiness that is born out of joy can be present with you right at the same time as you are experiencing those difficulties. We can't find joy, when we can't find joy in the midst of difficult circumstances, think about what we're we're implicitly saying we're implicitly saying that our joy comes from our circumstances. That joyful circumstances equals joyful feelings. But again, that's not Christian. Even the pagans can be joyful when the circumstances are joyful. God doesn't just give us joy in victory. He gives us joy in the midst of our defeats, Truthfully, to be joyful in the midst of defeat, in the midst of sorrow and pain and loss, in the crosses that we bear in this life, that is the most profound and Christian kind of joy that there is. To be joyful in the midst of a painful marriage, to be joyful when your kids are rebelling, to be joyful when you're still single and don't want to be, to be joyful when your health is failing. To be joyful in the midst of your own sins and failures. That's deeply and meaningfully Christian. And that kind of joy reaches deep down into God. Beyond the circumstances of the world. Beyond our own resources. Beyond our own holiness that we would offer. And taps into the true source of joy which is God himself. Do you know why? Joy can be present with us in the midst of our suffering. It's because joy is a person. Because joy is Jesus. He himself is the joy that is prokamenes. He himself is the joy that is set before us. Right here, right now, to give us the strength to endure He himself is the joy that allows us to keep living in hope, to keep trying, to keep loving, even when life is full of pain and suffering. And he himself is the joy that enables us to do all this with joy, not just perseverance, not just discipline, not just faithfulness, not just a steady sense of calm, But he enables us to walk our paths with joy, true delight in who he is. So listen, the capacity to rejoice in the midst of suffering, to love our enemies, to have hope in otherwise despairing circumstances, all of that comes from the living presence of Jesus in our lives. And I don't know how to say it any different than that. Because when Jesus walks into the room of our lives, his presence dispels the fear and the darkness and the shadow. But so often we, we try to wring out joy from the world, the things of this world. Joy is present in the world, but only insofar as the world is a conduit of God's gracious gift of joy. Your family, your marriage, your job, your friends, your children, your daily bread... All of these can be true and meaningful conduits of God's joy into your life, but they're only conduits. They are not essentials of joy. If we try to make them the sources of joy, the non negotiables of joy, we rob them and us of the joy that could have been ours. True abiding joy doesn't come from good circumstances doesn't come from possessing the things of this world. It comes from the abiding presence of Jesus in our lives. Now maybe some of you are thinking, oh, shoot. I thought you were going to tell me how to find joy and all you've done is tell me how to find Jesus. And I already know that. But do we? Do we? There is no other way to find joy than to find Jesus. And if we find ourselves tossed around this world like a beach ball by every wind and trial that comes along, maybe we know Jesus up here, maybe we need more of him all the way through our lives. Because it's not true to say, well, I know Jesus, I want joy. If you know Jesus, if he's rooted deep down into your bones and the marrow of your soul, then you do know joy. And if we find ourselves not accessing joy, it's not just because our circumstances are hard. It's not because of trials. It's not because of my spouse or my boss or my children. It's because we haven't tugged down deep enough into Jesus There's more of him to be had. True abiding joy comes in the living presence of Jesus in our lives. You can't dredge up joy by the strength of the will. It doesn't come through circumstances or relationships. You can't even earn it with your holiness. If I just keep my nose clean enough, then I'll find joy. You can't keep your nose clean enough. Joy is only given as a gift of grace by God. And the gift and the giver are the same. If you're seeking for joy, then you need to keep seeking for more of Jesus because Jesus is the joy that God offers us. Some of that might be hard to make sense of. And we're going to spend the next three weeks trying to like flesh that out some. There's nothing we can do to force God's hand to give us more joy. He's already given us joy in Jesus. But there are things that we can do in our lives to squelch our access to the joy that God has given us. So we're going to spend the next Number of weeks trying to figure out what are these some of these joy killers are that get in the way of us experiencing the joy that God has so graciously given us in Christ. But maybe I would just encourage you as you head into 2022, if you find yourself lacking the joy that you know that should be yours as a child of God, then make that your prayer for this year. If finding Jesus is the key to finding joy, finding more of Jesus. Then maybe make that your prayer. Lord, show me yourself. Reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are. Don't pray for your circumstances to change primarily. Don't pray for more self-will or more discipline. Pray that God would reveal Christ to you in ways that you have not experienced before. Because when you see him, when you see him, you will be filled with joy. You may not find him right away, and we're not going to find all of him that there is to be found in this world. We have to wait for the age to come for that. But he offers so much more of himself than we so often settle for. So let's press forward into joy.